So I'm doing my research uh, for this um, uh, for this article that I'm writing on on Afghanistan on the uh, religious freedom of religion belief, and there's there's a um, there's an article that is um, about the interaction of religion and law, and the idea is that there's a relation within society uh, from a legal point of view that. Um, solely in terms of legal foundations of religious of religious freedom, it, it, there's not. You can't just look at legal foundations. There's something else that's a component of it. Uh-huh. That's the article, yeah. right? There's, you know, there's an, there's a component of it that says that religion is has a different component than just the law, right? There's so there's there and in, in American history there's a construct within the founding principles of our country right um and and the pro- but the problem is is that there's positive and negative sentiments to what is religion and what is a religious identity and you probably know this better than i do knowing the battles that you fought domestic on domestic politics um from from your your representation i mean i was dealing more islamophobia and dealing more with you know religious persecution in a in a fundamental sense for muslims you were dealing, you know, I don't, I don't, I call, you know, pelvic politics. You're dealing with, you know, the nuances I think of domestic politics related to your constituency, and and I'm not saying that to be a bad thing. Um, um, and so this, that's what the article was about. But it, I read this paragraph, and I just, I felt, I kind of got it. I kind of got why you guys, you guys are who you are. Okay, explain. So, and this is, you know, I've been doing this for. You know, I'm doing religious freedom for a long time, but the uh, it's so so in his magisterial opus, a religious history of the American people. Okay. Then I'm I'm reading this now. Yeah. Sidney Alstrom identifies everything that occurs after 1960 as taking place in a post-Protestant era. Now we're talking about America. Right. A clear indication of a set of a sense of of a sense even if subconscious of ownership by Protestants by Protestants of America of America by Protestants of American history mm-hmm. to to that point the election of the nation's first Catholic president never mind Catholics Jews and Muslims have been uh, on the continent for for 400 years by that point and Native Americans still longer but I kind of I, you know, I don't want to say I always struggled with it. I didn't struggle with it, but I, the, the, the exceptionalism, the idea that for that, that after 1960, it's a post Protestant era. Yeah. And so I, I just said, go, is, is that what Matthew thinks? <laughs> like I, I just, cause I was like, is that, cause here's the problem. It never, it, to other faiths, it doesn't occur to us. It would never occur to us. We say that, okay, I say, oh, yeah, we're founding you know, we, religious persecution. Yes, we have a Puritan, which is a Protestant, right? right. Puritan um, uh, identity, certainly. You know, the Scarlet Letter and all those those guys, you know, those – we certainly have that that identity from uh, – as, as Americans – and that's why we're sort of conservative on with sexuality and a bunch of other things where Europe is is quite different. 
And and I but I didn't make the connection that that there's a pre and post Protestant era. Yeah. And if so, that really it, it's a profound statement for those those of us who don't make that connection. And as a religious scholar, someone who majored in religion, whose religion is his business, never saw something like that that nobody even presented that to me. And I'm going, maybe that's what the Protestants think. And that's part of the reason why there is this idea of exceptionalism, that the, the identity of America is Protestant, this hearkening back to a golden era, which I don't know how golden it was, but right. but of, of Protestantism in America. And and here's the thing, to its point, maybe that's true. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is true, but then you have to take more responsibility for American history. Yeah. So is the Civil War a Protestant conflict? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, th- and, then you and, start. And you got to own slavery. And yeah, you got to own segregation. You got to own it all. You you yeah. got to say, so it, let's just say it's true. So now all this stuff that's that's associated before 1960 yeah. is part of the Protestant. And then maybe there wasn't, it wasn't such a golden era. And right. so, <laughs> I, you know, and maybe, you know, and, 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 and I mean, aside from it not being, not being true from perspective of there are other faith groups in America and the Protestant era, if you want to consider it pre-1960, was at the expense of American Indians, yeah. another religion. Yeah. So so now what are we talking about? You know, so yeah. I, I think I think what do you, what's your what's your take on that? I mean, yeah, do you so- do you first of all do you believe it? Is it true? And and from your perspective and that the, is it something that is a, a talking point because no one has ever said that to me in all my years of interacting with Protestants. Interesting. Well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say the election of JFK was necessarily like the defining moment, but you know, it's, it's a helpful, yeah. I mean, it's a helpful threshold, uh, historically to view what, um, at least an era or a few decades that um, a lot of American Protestants believe that uh, America has uh, departed from its Protestant heritage. Uh, I'll put it that way. So even if um, even if you're, even if you're like me, uh, who I don't believe that the United States was founded governmentally as a you know Christian government, uh, it is very clear if that there were deists. I mean, the deists were were the was a dominant. Yeah, I mean, they, they were part of many, many players. I think we would read, uh, included deists like uh, Thomas Jefferson, who edited his own <laughs> scriptures. Uh, and, uh, but uh, other people, you know, other founders who were faithful believers. Um, uh, but uh, the point is, even if, even if, uh, you parse a difference between a Christian government, which I don't, I don't think is the case. Um, there's clearly heavily heavy influence of Christianity, culturally speaking, um, from from the pre even pre revolutionary era. Uh, that much is clear, and so uh, I think you could. There are a lot of yeah. I would say to to that reading, um, the you know the '60s and beyond um, are uh, not. I wouldn't fault necessarily or, or point to the election of a Catholic uh, necessarily because there are lots of most presidents um, more more often than we would like to believe uh, or that some evangelicals would like to believe most American presidents uh, would probably not um, explain the Christian faith the way we would um, it would probably be in a minority even if you go in a deep dive into um, 
you know, the biographies and the writings of someone like Abraham Lincoln. It's clear, clear he was on a journey. I think most, most, most Christians believe him to ultimately have been a, a, a Christian. Um, but you know, you can, you kind of follow an arc of a relationship between he and what he believes about God, um, from early in, in his presidency, pre-presidency through, um, through the civil war. But, uh, you know, I think culturally speaking, I think it's, yeah, the sixties are a, a pretty good, pretty common marker of when uh, a lot of American Christians believe America is in a post Christian, certainly post Protestant, um, era of, of influence. And I think culturally speaking, I think it's a fair argument to make. Um, the, what we would challenge Christians to reflect on is like you, to the points you mentioned, um, segregation, uh, civil war, um, slavery. Um, we've, if, if we're claiming us to be a, a, a Christian nation, however you want to define it, we've got to own those things. Uh, and those are, those things are clearly not Christian. Right. Um, and uh, so it's a it's a complex history, but I think I think it's a fair point to be like the middle of the 20th century, along with you know uh, trends internationally, um, with what appeared to be a, a decrease in at least then a decrease in religi- religiosity and an up, upswing of secularism. Uh, it looked like Christianity here in America was on the wane. Um, you know, I think it depends on how you parse the difference. I mean, right now. You know, a lot of the subject of this show has been about evangelicals and um, support or not of President Trump. And so right now it looks like uh, evangelicals are are at a high watermark of, of influence and control. You know, I could argue it both ways. Uh, I think in, in some cases it looks that way. And a lot of, a lot of evangelicals are um, in some pretty significant uh, quarters of government power. At the same time, you know, it could be a, a twilight of influence um, that a lot of folks aren't yet recognizing. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that um, there's, first of all, I appreciate it's a, it's a, you know, I appreciate the insight. It's, I mean, here's something, is, is it something that's talked about? And maybe you can't answer this, but in the, you know, in the, in the smoky halls, <laughs> dungeons of the, you know, the war room of the Southern Baptist, you know, you know is there, was it, I mean, was this one of the, was this a guiding principle in policy and, and, you know, that, that Does, led. Like the decrease of Christian influence in the nation? The decrease, that the post Protestant era and what do we do to reestablish a, you know, a, a, or, you know, to, to regain ground that was lost. Was that a. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe, you know, of course, you know, maybe not just like, not that said like that, but was yes, it, was yes this and no. I mean, yes and no. I mean, um, you see that, you saw that politically in the eighties with, um, the rise of the, of the moral majority, right? That was a really distinct expression of Christians, uh, trying to use the levers of political power to, you know, change the direction away from kind of what that author was speaking of, right? A post Protestant they they want to steer it into a more Protestant, um, uh, era, um, whatever you think about that movement, there's definitely uh, history. There's a uh, <clears throat> there's a Christian philosopher named Francis Schaeffer 
who died in 1984. And uh, a lot of what he wrote about was the West, generally speaking, being in a post-Christian era. So not only is it, um, not only were we in or headed into an era where Protestant Christianity was less influential, he talked about people who, even if they weren't Christians, um, salvationly speaking, um, they had a Christian memory, which basically means they recognized Christianity as part of their culture, right? But now, um, in the second part of the 20th, 20th century, and certainly now in the 21st century, a lot of the Western world, what we used to call Christendom, not only are they not Christian, they have no memory of this thing we call Christianity. And so it's a, mm. it's post-Christian in that respect. Um, however, from the outside, you know, outside the Christian faith, I could, I could see how that doesn't necessarily appear to be the case, but that, that is a common ethos or a common, um, observation that I think a lot of evangelicals, uh, believe. Now it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they're motivated to, you know, implement something like the moral majority, but it's, yeah, it's a common sentiment. We have in, in, in a Muslim community, cultural Muslims who have that identity of being yeah. Muslim, but aren't practicing and who are, is you know, history is that of being, you know, raised in Islam or they have a, a, their, their cultural construct is, is from a Muslim perspective, but they're, they're, um, like I said, not practicing, but have that same idea, you know, of of where they come from that resonates with with practicing Muslims. And there's nothing wrong with the cultural Muslims; they have a, their own identity. It's just the pro the challenges is that right now in the Muslim community they're struggling with. Okay, where do these? It, it, there's there's this whole thing of what what is a good Muslim, and and of course we we always talk about. The, the, the my cause of dealing with organizations that define what a Muslim is, tell you how to be a Muslim, and re- interpret religious text, and uh, which is you know the, the fight that we've been in uh, uh, for the last fifty years uh, here in America. But uh, it, it's tough because there's this fight between the golden age of Islam. Yeah. What what a fundamentalist one <laughs> they want to. You know, what, what is what does ISIS want? They want to establish a caliphate and they want to uh, um, bring about the end of days. And then they, they, they throw out all the rules because throwing out all the rules in Islam justifies them acting a fool, uh-huh. um, at least in their minds, to establish this fundament, this, this caliphate that's like a that's a kingdom that existed back in the day. And by doing that, they throw out all the, the core components of Islam, like we were talking about, the, and they violate the maxims. Therefore, leading us to leading them to not be practicing Muslims. They're just guys just acting a fool out there. Um, and you guys have it in your faith. You know, we you know you have all these different Christian groups that um, the, the Children of God, right? They were they were they're a group that's out there. The Aryan Brotherhood, the, the clan, and all these other things that see, see the ends justifies the means type of thing. You know, yeah. to reestablish the world in a in a model, and it, t- it speaks to our exceptionalism conversation. You know, we've been talking about something as simple as thinking you can go to church and you're protected when you're disregarding things because you are of a particular faith or go to a mosque. Um, and, uh, and, and it seems funny in this world because 
we have all this multimedia that we can reach people. Um, um, and it's, it's, it's strange, but I appreciate the conversation and, you know, we were chatting back and forth, you know, this was, uh, I thought, I just, I just thought it was amazing. It was a, it was a, it was probably one of the most profound statements that I've, I've, I've read in a long time. And, you know, I'm assiduous, assiduously apply myself to reading. So I was like, (laughs) where is this guy? Where is this phrase? Cause this, it would help with engagement, contextual engagement with evangelicals and and Protestants. If I knew that, if I knew that you guys thought it was a post and I've taught, I've taught American history since World War since one and two. Yeah. So the, so leading up to the so American for the beginnings up to the, the what's called Reconstruction after the Civil War and then uh-huh. Reconstruction to present day. Oh yeah. And I've never heard this. Oh yeah. That's fascinating. And, and I'm going. And, and you know, and our listeners might say, "Well, this guy's been under a rock for," right. you know. <laughs> but it's, you know, my father, who's an American history guy. You know, he's never gotten into it, but I, you know, you heard of it like American exceptionalism. You learned about all these different things, manifest destiny and all this other stuff. But if you, it's, it's interesting to put it under this construct because then you can turn around and say, well, wait a minute, if that's what you believe, then let's talk about what, what you're owning. Yeah. And like you were, we were like, we were talking about earlier, but on the other side of it, 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 it's, you say, okay, well, let's just say if it is true, what is, how, what is a post Protestant era and how does that affect the psyche of the Protestants yeah. who believe that? Yeah. And, 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 you know, you could argue that we're experiencing it right now is, you know, reversal of Roe versus Wade post 60, right? Post, post, post Protestant uh, all these different things that are happening with the, the, the current administration are essentially hearkening back to make America great again. Right. So, and, and, and the idea of this yeah. post world war two pre 60 era. And it speaks to another comment. Like I always talk to my parents cause you know, they're getting up there in Asia and they're set they're in their seventies. Yeah. And one of the things that I ask them, I always ask them to tell me stories, you know, about what, what were you doing, you know, at this point or that point, one of the questions that I asked very recently, cause we're on the phone or chatting was, Tell me about what happened from night, what we like your experience from 1962 to 1967. And my father was like, What do you mean? I go, That's when you know you have a transition in, in music, yeah, you have a transition where color movies, uh-huh. and you have a transition with into the 60s where you know the culture changes dramatically, and it just must have been amazing, right. You, 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 all of a sudden you go from these very sort of wholesome bands and the best one I can, I, I'm definitely a Stones fan, but sure. you know, die hard and as low as I am to mention the Beatles on our podcast, <laughs> the Beatles before the mid sixties were like just a bunch of nerds, yeah. you know, you know, stealing music from, you know, other ethnic groups. And then they went and then they changed into a, a their own entity post 1964. Right. And, and, and that transformation was happening all over the country. And, and so you go from conservatism, you know, the fifties idea of the nuclear family and everything else to something wholly different. And my parents were right there, ground zero. My mother was born in 1943. So it's, it's a, it's an amazing, an amazing moment in time. And so it's right the period we're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
and I think that the Pro- I think that it it must have had a profound effect on the the Protestant psyche, psyche yeah. in well, America. Well, and one thing uh, back to your your article um, uh, citation. One one of the things that's interesting you have to remember about the JFK election is JFK had to make the same uh, the same speech that Mitt Romney kind of had to make, uh, except in a more profound way because all the stuff that you see about um, in the current era about uh, you know would evangelicals support a Mormon in politics um, and that kind of thing or whether they'd support uh, a Muslim for politics um, for government and all that. Kind of sense. JFK had to uh, basically went to speak to evangelicals. I think it was in Texas. There's a very famous speech where he had to explain basically why his faith was important to him, but why, in not so many words, the uh, the Pope was not going to be ruling America. A lot of Protestants were really wow. genuinely concerned about that. And hmm. so JFK had to had to fight back against basically anti-Catholic sentiment uh, in that era, um, and so but you know so but so politically speaking, it's interesting. I think it's more of a footnote. I mean, we still had after you know if you're looking to the American presidency, I think there's less evidence for that because later you had Jimmy Carter, who was a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher. I think still teaches Sunday school to this day. Uh, uh, even, even though he, they weren't within our camp, um, politically speaking or, you know, or, you know, kind of what we call, you know, public policy and ethics, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and Al Gore were both self-identified Southern Baptists. Hillary Clinton, uh, her background is Methodist. Um, uh, you know, George W. Bush was, um, you know, an evangelical, but came from within a, a mainline expression of the Christian faith. Um, so like, <laughs> and you know, even Barack Obama was, uh, you know, considered himself to be a Christian. Um, and, and it's certainly not, you know, and certainly in a, in a Protestant tradition. So uh, I think if you look at the American presidency, there's less evidence, uh, that guy's uh, evidence falls away, but culturally speaking, yeah, sure. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's some of what you get at in the make America great again. Um, I've always viewed that from the earliest days as kind of a Rorschach test. It was kind of the equivalent to the Obama era, you know, what was it? We can do this or something like that. Um, we can, I think, right. It was, it was, you, 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 you put into that phraseology, whatever you (laughs) wanted it to mean. Uh, and you know, a lot, a lot of people, look at make America great again. That's part of it. And so, uh, it's, you know, we think it, you know, it's pretty petty to care, to care significantly about whether or not people wish you a Merry Christmas at the retail stores. Um, but I think that it touches on the observation that, that, that article makes is that, uh, evangelicals broadly, um, believe that we're in a post-Christian, uh, era, um, and you could, given given that most of Christianity's um, influence, or mo- most of the American, I don't know, influence of Christianity has been predominantly Protestant, I think, even though Catholics outnumber uh, Protestants, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean there's, I, a lot, there's a lot there. Well, and and as in this, you know, I think it's it's it is a profound moment in time. It was a, it was a profound moment for me to kind of read that and go, I guess, I guess huh. that's what. I guess that's what they're thinking. I mean, I kind of, you know, you always kind of felt that way, yeah. you know, but you feeling it is different than having someone succinctly say it 
yeah. in, in, and then say, here's the date and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so I guess, you know, doomsday started at post 1960 for the Protestants, you know, it's been 40 some odd years of doomsday, you know what I mean? The apocalypse, you know, so, um, but no, it must, it must, seriously, it must just be, it's an, it's, if, like I said, if that's true, then there's, there's a, 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 a I think there's, it could be a very useful dialogue to happen about what does that mean to the identity of Protestants in America as it becomes more diverse, as it becomes more diffuse, and as we all are struggling with trying to manage uh, the, what's going on with our current administration and future administrations um, and, and previous administrations, you know, the Obama era, you know, Bush and so forth. And this, these last 20 years have been a tremendous um, shift yeah. in how uh, 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 religious communities identify themselves and how they interact with the other communities. As we always say, religious freedom is getting worse yeah. uh, globally. And in America, there's a, a struggle with the attacking of, of you know, places of worship, the, yeah. the, pers- the, the, the attacking of different faith groups. And now with the, the mantle of responsibility falling on this current administration, which I don't think... I mean, it's it's. I don't think there's an arguable point that it is an evangelical presidency. Um, uh, in in not that Trump is an evangelical, yeah. but his his certainly the vice president is, and certainly the the community around him that influences him is 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 yeah. evangelical. Yeah. Then, what is you know what really is a practical agenda for policy yeah. with Americans across the country? And what is the I, what is the agenda? What, what is the and it maybe you know does that reside any where does that reside that agenda? And I think right now it resides with individuals that influence the president, um, as rather than one particular entity. But I remember you know you guys my my joke you know that I always used to tell you guys you know if you know if you go Southern Baptist well if the Northern Baptists just got organized right. you know you guys would be in trouble well <laughs> you, you guys got all these different evangelical groups that are influencing the president at this point at different levels mm-hmm. and what is the agenda and if it is related to this notion of uh, post or post Protestant uh, America then then a study of what those components of pre you know of when it was Protestant would be very uh, informative, and yeah, like you, yeah. you know, you, you, you know. So, and I, maybe this is happening all the time. You know, you're in the middle of your PhD. Maybe there's, I, there's, I, I'd say maybe there's, there's certain things you could point us to, uh, to look at this stuff. And I am looking at now going back to some of my American history stuff and looking at it under this different lens and going, it's not just the beginnings of our country that is, you know, helping me be informed by deists into this idea of a pluralist society, which was, like I said, conservative. But now if it is under the lens of Protestantism, then that's, I mean, it, look, look, it could have, I mean, they were talking about affecting our interaction with the Brits. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, what kind of, you know, how did our Protestant then in identity work or not work with the Brits? Right. How did it work with our foreign diplomacy being Protestants and interacting with the, the, the you know, the monarchy in, uh, in France, in, in Russia and, and all these different things is, is that a lens that, that someone's looked at yeah. and said how Protestant has given us 
opportunities or diminished opportunities with foreign foreign policy uh, and foreign conflict and all kinds of other things as a result of it be, of our identity or or being in a a Protestant era in America. Yeah. Well, um, I think one one bit of that 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 would be insightful for non Christians. Um, the part of the reason we have religious freedom in the States, it's not the only reason, but part of the reason, uh, we have religious freedom in the States, um, by the time, um, the, uh, U S constitution is signed, the, uh, <laughs> you had Christian groups, all, all the, all the founding colonies, all the original 13 colonies, they all had tax supported churches and they were all different expressions of Christianity. So they were predominantly right. Protestant. You had probably one or two Anglicans, um, but they were varying degrees of uh, different expressions of Christianity, and they were persecuting each other. Right. Protestant right. Christians. Part of the reason we called a truce, <laughs> part of the reason there's a truce of some sorts, if you want to look at the First Amendment um, and, and the religious freedom clauses, uh, part of the reason that truce came to be, part of the reason uh, Jefferson and others worked for the Virginia Declaration on Religious Freedom was because Christians were persecuting each other, Protestant Christians. It wasn't Catholic on on, on Protestant necessarily, uh, but it was certainly say Congregationalists against Baptists, and uh, and so part of the, part of the American tradition of religious freedom was born out of Christians stopping fight, stopping trying to use the state to enforce it on the other, right? And so uh, e- even while uh, um, Protestant leaders like uh, James Madison could say, uh, look, it's, it's, it's good for a democracy to have people have religious people part of it because part of small government is requires that uh, people, um, that citizens um, manage themselves well and, and, you know, and, and generally conduct themselves as, as good neighbors and good citizens. You need a religious people to do that. Um, and, and so you have you kind of a mixed bag of stuff. But yeah, I think uh, recognizing that Protestant Christianity did have a significant hand in forming America. It wasn't just coming out of um, a secular enlightenment. I think you could, you could make the case that um, the two streams combined to create the American experiment. But, uh, and that, you know, Christianity as a thing, as a cultural influence is on the wane now. And so I think maybe, uh, you could, you know, as a thought experiment, uh, you could say, take a, a country that is a predominantly Muslim, that's a Muslim majority country, maybe even Muslim influence heavily in, in policy and imagine for a minute what life looks like in 50 years after there's basically like a secular cultural revolution. Uh, and imagine, and, and all of a sudden Islam as a thing, uh, even though it's still part of the culture, uh, Muslims feel like they're a minority, um, in a country that used to be heavily shaped by Islam. I think that would be an interesting thought experiment to kind of consider. Well, well, I mean, I'm the article that I'm writing right now uh, and and researching, uh, on freedom of religion and belief in Islam, uh, in, in Afghanistan is, has, is directly related to this. It's, it's how, so <laughs> the identity, so there, uh, Afghanistan used to be Zoroastrian and the Zoroastrians in the North. This is broad terms. Yeah. And Buddhists in the South, the Buddhists, when, the, when 
the invasion of 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 Islam came, and uh, I'm not going to weigh in on the, the 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 merits or demerits one gets from invading, <laughs> having a Muslim invasion, um, but you, the the South essentially rolled over because they were Buddhists. You know, Buddhists don't they don't fight. They're not fighters. Um, and and you have some interesting communities because you have cultural Muslim culture cultural you have what's called Tibetan Muslims in the far east. Yeah. So they're Tibetans culturally, but they're Muslim, right? So they're very kind of relaxed Islam, you know. And uh, and then in the north, the Zoroastrians, which are, you know, they're fighters. Yeah. You know. You know. I don't. There's. The, I just gotta. I'm gonna give props to the to the Zoroastrians on this one. I mean. <laughs> They're fighters. They're I just like, learned uh, so, so. Early Christians were persecuted by Zoroastrians, but it was. I think uh, my limited knowledge of it is it was because of uh, Christian association with Rome. So it was kind of post-Rome. It was kind of a post-Rome era um, persecution. So they're they're. It's plausible they're as at least much as much uh, cultural and political um, factors as there are religious. Admittedly, the the Zoroastrians were struggling to survive. I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna uh, their survival. Most of this, I I, I couldn't even imagine the, the the sheer mass of of devastation that the Muslim invasion had over Af- Afghan communities that were indigenous to that region. It's just it must have been. It, it, it just must have been like the end of days, <laughs> you know, like, like Carthage, Carthage after the end of the, the, you know, at the end against Rome, Carthage was sitting there, Punic Wars, I think they're called. I mean, you're talking about three major, three army, three Roman re- legions, the, the uh, fleet, the Roman fleet was outside there. There was no ships left, no army left, just the garrison of Carthage sitting there. And I've been to Carthage. The city, uh, you know, the Tunis is sitting to the west of where Carthage actually was. And the city where Carthage was is still leveled down to the sub-basements. If you go there today, the the devastation is still complete. Yeah. And you just can't even imagine. So... I, I, the Zoroastrians were fighting for their lives. I can't even imagine what they must have endured as a result of that conflict. Yeah. In, in, in any respect, the reason why I mention it is because essentially, Afghanistan has a Sunni Muslim identity, and because uh, we're talking about ancient invasions. Okay, so, you know, better than a thousand years. So so now we're talking about ancient invasions and the identity is Sunni Islam. There's there's there is a Shia community there. Um, there is a Hindu community there. There is a Christian community. There's one Jew left in, in Afghanistan. Uh, and um, the identities that are there and there's other sort of different groups uh, religious groups that that are some polytheists and so forth, and but the constitution is we're an Islamic Article One, we're an Islamic state. Article Two says we're going to protect religious communities because we're a diverse community, and I think it's Article Seven of the constitution that says that uh, they're adhere to the UDHR. 
And so this article goes into there's a quasi a governmental entity called the Ulama Council. Uh, and the Ulama Council is a council that is supposed to arbitrate over religious freedom issues. It's, it's, it's part of the Ministry of Hajj, but it's separate, like USERF is, you know, ISIS Commission for International Religious Freedom. Yeah. Except for they actually have a, a, a uh, sort of, there's, there's councils all over the country and they convene and they've taken a lot of hits. They've been, been attacked by ISIS, been attacked by the Taliban on, on the rulings. And they are trying to do what others claim doesn't exist, arbitrate over religious communities, uh-huh. multi-faith communities in an Islamic context, using Islam to protect religious minorities. Interesting. It, it, it's profound. It's now there's, 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 there's the ulama councils all over in Muslim countries. Uh, I, I would, you could see see how not to do it in Pakistan. The ulama councils are basically doing the complete opposite. They're implementing what the the um, oh god, what's it called? The the the, uh, um, the, the one that, the, the law that we're always referring to in Pakistan. The uh, about you know conversion and uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, and, uh, so there, the problem is in Pakistan, the Ulama council is governed by the laws and the history that, that established Pakistan, which is British law. And so, um, so blasphemy laws, that's, a, that's the word I can come up with it. Blasphemy laws come from British colonial law. And so they're implementing the Ulama, there's the Ulama councils are using blasphemy laws to persecute religious groups um, all over yeah. South the South Pacific and other areas. They have Luma councils, but in Afghanistan, because of my connection and because I've been charged with writing this article, I'm trying to say, okay, can religious freedom exist with under, within the construct of Islam using, you know, and, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'll, I'll let everybody wait until my, I get my, my, my results out. But, uh, but the, the, the challenge is, is that the identity of, of having a, this formalized into a constitution, and then from there establishing bureaucracies essentially to make to ensure religious freedom is 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 an interesting component because we were just talking about it how it was established by Protestants in America, yeah. and um, and this Protestant tradition. So it, it's I think it's very important to understand the histories. So you have a Sunni history in Afghanistan that the, that any of the councils that are in large majority Sunni um, although there is a uh, there is a uh, um, an council there is a Shia component uh-huh. to it um, that is now that is struggling with the conflict post-conflict world but their identity of Afghanistan is changing because of the, the influence of the West and now they're trying to contextualize religious freedom both within an Islamic context and now a Western con- context yeah. so that they can demonstrate that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And which is you could, you know, it's it's an amazing moment in time to evaluate this. And I, it may or may not come out to be positive. I don't know yet because I'm crunching all the numbers and the data right now. Um, but uh, but I, I think that it, it certainly helps when it comes to looking into a country and saying, OK, what is what is the cultural history and what is the cultural identity and what is the religious identity then um, right. associated with these, with these individuals and what has been driving them all these years and what has changed? Right. And, well, uh, and, and yeah, I think that's happened. That'd be really fascinating to follow. 
Yeah. yeah, so that'll be really fascinating to follow. So I look forward to what your research uh, shows. For I've said for a long time um, uh, that if we really treasure religious freedom, we can't anticipate. We can't expect um, us with our Western language and, and verbiage and, and history to you know uh, outsource religious freedom exactly like we have it here. We have to be able to help. Uh, indigenous folks, you know, people in their own culture, draw from resources with their in their own culture, their own religion, their own history, right? Uh, to see how they can craft their own conception of religious freedom uh, that you know dovetails and and harmonizes with what we experience here in the West. Um, but it doesn't have to necessarily look like what we have right now. We have a, a particularly unique history, some of which we talked about, kind of the harmonization or or a dovetailing between. Uh, Protestant Christianity and uh, secular enlightenment ideals, um, you know, that's going to look different uh, in at places like Afghanistan who don't have that kind of history. Um, but we can't presume that they, A, can't get to a place where religious freedom flourishes, or B, that their brand of religious freedom has to be enunciated just like ours. Is that fair? Yeah, wow. I think I think you just said that Islam is exceptional, is the exception to the rule. Is that what you just said? Okay, sorry. Okay. Nice, nice bookend. Nice bookend. Yeah, All right. I just figured right, out we, we, the denouement. If we needed to, but um, no, I appreciate the insight, bud, and I appreciate you taking the time. So yeah, this has been good. This has been fun. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at MTHawk, at JT Pinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com.